0: So, uh, you remember, if you were here last time, uh, we just walked through Ephesians chapter 2. And I wanted to begin with the gospel because I, I just think that's crucial for us to think well about the gospel. But what I want to do now is turn our attention more from justification to sanctification and think about the issue of sin. How do we deal with sin? Um, where, how does sin work in our hearts? Uh, how does temptation work in our hearts? So we're going to take a, uh, a little while here, not just this morning, but for sure next, next time and maybe beyond, and just talk some about the, the issue of sin and how to deal with sin in our lives, because that's where we live every day, is, is fighting sin, uh, how to put off and put on sin. So we're, we're going to deal with that, and hopefully it will certainly affect our own hearts and then allow us to shepherd those that God's put in our lives, our wives or our kids. Others that we come in contact with to do the same. But as we begin, would somebody volunteer to open this up in prayer? Go ahead, Brian.
1: Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, I'm just thankful that you gave us another day. Help us to look for opportunities to serve you and honor you and obey you and worship you throughout the day. Thank you for this opportunity to um, open your word early in the morning and uh, help us to think about what Dusty is saying and
0: uh, through your word and uh, throughout the day. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So turn to James chapter one. James chapter one. This is one of my favorite texts, and I think it's a crucial text for me. It's a crucial text for us to to understand as as Christians, particularly with how does sin work? How does it work in our own hearts? How does temptation work? James lays out for us a nice, concise pattern for how temptation takes place in our lives. And we're going to begin in, in verse 12. And uh, run all the way down through verse 15. So, let's read together verse 12. He says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, this is probably a passage you're familiar with. Um, As I said, it's one of my go-to passages on the issue of sin and reminding us of where sin comes from. But he begins dealing with the issue of trials. As you know, James is a, a book that is... Famous for dealing with trials, James 1 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds. He gives us a biblical perspective of trials. And in verse 12, he, he talks about the man who perseveres when under a trial. And says that that's a person who, once he's approved, will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So there is a reward that comes from our faithfulness in walking through trials but trials can often produce uh, temptation within us as well when we encounter trials we're often tempted towards sin to think sinfully to respond sinfully in the midst of that so he almost builds this contrast in verse 12 you have the blessed man who perseveres well under a trial and receives the crown of life and then he walks into the issue of temptation and <laughs> trial and temptation are very similar here, but there is the difference in that God will bring trials into our lives to test us, to test our faith, we see that throughout the scripture, think of Abraham and then the test that God put him through with his son, um, but God never tempts us to sin, right? So a trial, a test will be brought to us by God, but he always means that for good, That often, in our sinfulness, we turn that same test or trial into an opportunity for the flesh. And so I want us to focus our attention really on what he says in the next verses, beginning with, let no one say. So, he dives into this issue now, moving away from how we deal with trials, and begins to discuss specifically temptation. And this, this first phrase here, let no one say, is a command. It's a present tense command, which in the Greek, present tense is often used for an ongoing action. So this is, kind of never say this. As a pattern of life, never say, let no one say, when he is tempted. And notice he says, when he is tempted. The idea there is that you will be tempted. Every single one of us, every day, is tempted by sin. Tempted to sin, tempted by sin. It's important for us to understand that because I deal with a lot of counseling situations where people come in just beaten up over sin. And we begin to talk about that and what's going on, and in some cases, it turns out that in fact they're really winning the battle with sin. They're just worn down by the battle itself, and they're confusing the battle with failure. Right? The fact that I am tempted to sin and that I have to fight sin all day long makes me feel like a failure is, is the, the way it, it works. It's almost like because I, you know, if I'm a Christian, why would I even think or desire to do these things? Uh, temptation is part of life in this fallen world. You will never have a day in your life until you're in glory that you're not tempted to sin. All day, every day, the Christian life is a battle with sin. It's important to understand that. He says, when... He is tempted. It's going to happen. It's going to be part of your life. The issue is not if you're tempted. The issue is as a Christian, what do you do and how do you respond when you are tempted? Because you will be. By a myriad uh, of things. So let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted <coughs> by God. Let no one say, I'm being tempted by God. Now, <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is important for us to think about. And I want These to be interactive, so I want you to talk with me about this. In what ways can we be tempted to blame God for our temptation? In what ways can we be tempted to do that? What was it? Just complaining. Just Mm -hmm. complaining about Berkeley. Our circumstances are alive. You could try to blame him by saying, since he is sovereign. And this is in my life. Mm-hmm. He put it in my life. So. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the primary ways. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. So when, when Adam is caught in his sin, uh, when they're both caught in their sin, God comes to confront them. And when he confronts Adam, what is Adam's response? You remember? What did do this, <clears throat> this woman that you gave me ate. And you know, me. So of course, I... <laughs> But he blame shifts. We often think he's blaming Eve, and he isn't. He is, but in a sense, he's blaming God. The woman that, I mean, you you gave her to me, you know. Um, She did it, and so I did it. We can do the same thing. I think when we initially read that, let no one say, you know, I'm being tempted by God. We think, well, I wouldn't say that. I don't think God's tempting me to sin. But we, we, we do say that when we complain about our circumstances. When we blame the situation God's put us in in our lives as... The reason for our our sinful attitude, our sinful actions, um, we we can blame God when we perceive uh, some injustice or unfairness on the part of God towards us. Right? You know, I I worked hard. Why didn't I get that promotion? You know, why did that guy get it? He's he had been at the company as long as me, or he didn't work as hard as me, or yada yada yada. But ultimately, when, every time we do that, who put you in that circumstance? Who you know, who who has the sovereign power to give you that promotion or to give you that job or, or whatever it is? God does. And go ahead, Jim question. Yeah, I think
2: in the back of our minds when temptation comes, we know behind the temptation is a sin. But in the back of our minds we know that ultimately God is the primary cause for everything that is happening. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think in our minds we tend to say, "Well, he, like you said, he is sovereign. Nothing would, not even this temptation, wouldn't come. <coughs> if he would not allow to come." Mm-hmm. So, in, in our minds, I think we do this. We follow this train of thought. Okay, there is a temptation, there is a sin, but ultimately, who's the primary cause of <coughs> <coughs> it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're doing, we're forgetting that the actual. Sin is not happening until ourselves committing the sin, and that is us committing the sin, not God. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And, and, and even
0: what, what James is saying here is he goes even one step beyond that to say, it is true God is sovereign over all things and he brings everything into our lives, but he never brings them into our lives to tempt us to sin, Right? He always brings them in for the positive, on the positive side of that, to test our faith, to stretch our faith, to give us the opportunity to be the blessed man who perseveres under trial, right? To be the blessed man who chooses to honor God, to trust God. God's never bringing it to us to try to get us to sin. And I think that's really important for us to keep in mind. Um, And that's the exact point that he makes next he says don't let no one say i'm being tempted by god for and he gives two reasons here's why we should never say that number one god cannot be tempted by evil god cannot be tempted by evil now i want us to think about that for a second I, i spend some time meditating on that phrase god cannot be tempted by evil now obviously we know that in his humanity jesus was tempted but Jesus was tempted in a different way uh, than us. And w- when we're tempted, we have within us, uh, before Christ, we have a sinful nature. After Christ, we still have a sinful flesh. There is an internal desire within us that longs for the forbidden when we are tempted. Jesus didn't have that, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus was sinless and perfect. He was tempted from the outside by Satan, Um but he didn't have that internal draw towards evil that he was trying to kill. There was a difference there in his humanity. In his divinity, uh, God cannot be tempted by evil, it's an impossibility. Let's think about God for a moment, what the Bible says about God. Somebody turn to Isaiah 46. We I mean, have one person turn to Isaiah 46, uh, verse 9. I'm going to turn to another passage in Isaiah. Will when somebody has Isaiah 46, 9,
2: and 10, let me know. <coughs> go ahead. All right, go ahead and read 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose.
0: I love that verse. I am God, there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning. Our God is not like us in so many ways. He is transcendent. He is other. He is alien, in a sense, outside of us. Um, But Let me read Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is one of the uh, most famous passages on, on the holiness of God. This is a scene... In heaven, as Isaiah, uh, in a vision, <clears throat> goes to heaven. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, having each having six wings, and with two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. and one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he take it from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sins forgiven. Now think about this, this scene. You have these angels. This is always interesting to me. The holy angels that have not fallen, and didn't follow after Satan, have, have never sinned. Right? Think about that. They're not like us. They have never sinned. Otherwise they wouldn't be allowed to remain in the presence of of God. So you have these perfectly holy angels that have been with God since their creation. So this is not new to them. They've now been with Him for thousands of years. And yet they continually, when they're before Him, are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God they themselves, never having sinned, looking upon God. And this is not some robotic response that God's programmed in them so that they kind of do it like you know, like we would a computer or something like that. This is the natural response that they have when they behold their God, right? This, I, I as, a, as a sinless being, a seraphim, if I was an angel, am looking on this God, and all I can say is, Holy, Holy he is so far above and beyond. Because God's holiness is not just a matter of his sinlessness. It certainly includes that. God's holiness is dealing also with his separateness, that he is unlike any other. He is the uncreated one. He is the only one that is all-powerful, that is uh, omniscient, that omnipresent. He, he is the only one that's perfectly <coughs> just and good and You begin to think about all of these attributes of God. There is none like him. When he says, I am God, and there is none like me. Even the angels who have have seen him since they were created continue to say, and, and still are saying, we see it in Revelation, and will say, and we will say with them, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that. The reason that I wanted to read those passages is because when we now read in James chapter 1 for God cannot be tempted by evil i i just i think it's important for us to to check ourselves if we are ever tempted to blame our sinful temptations upon God and his sovereignty to remember who it is we're talking about this is not a god that we trifle with Right? This is the transcendent God of the universe. He cannot be tempted by evil. It's not just that he is the perfect one and refusing it. But, see, God never looks on evil and sees anything good in it. You know, when we talk to each other, and maybe we talk about a failure that we're, we had or a sin that we're dealing with, there, there is, a, there is an, an amount of empathy there because why? Because even if I'm in the counselor seat, I understand, because I'm a sinner too, right? And if I have counsel for you on how to fight that sin, it comes from the Scripture, and it comes from the fact that I'm having to do the exact same thing every day. God is not empathetic in, in that sense, right? Because He does not see anything desirable in evil, ever. <coughs> And I just think it's important for us to remember that. God cannot be tempted by by evil. Leviticus 19.2 says, For you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so if we're ever tempted to blame God, we have to remind ourselves how inconceivable it is that he could or would ever be tempted by evil. And that has a conclusion drawn out of it. This is the second reason that we should never say that God is tempting us. First, God cannot be tempted by evil. Secondly, and he himself does not tempt anyone. That's just a conclusion drawn out of the fact that he can't be tempted. And so God God would never tempt anyone to sin. If, If he doesn't delight in evil, if he sees nothing good in evil, why would God ever see good or desire for you to love evil and to do what is evil? And so I know that we know that. But it reveals for me the depth of my own sin if I would ever be tempted to blame shift my sin on this God who hates sin to this degree and is so totally separate from it that he cannot do it and he never would do that.
1: Yes, Jason. I was just going to say, you know, on Sunday you talked about one of the things you talked about was choosing the right communication medium (coughs) when we have... You know, for, for the communications. If we have, you know, non routine communication, then choosing a routine medium like text or something isn't the right choice. And part of the reason for that is because when that medium is thin, it's so, so easy for the person receiving that to assume the worst.
0: That's a natural bent. We assume bad intention whenever we don't have good evidence the otherwise. I think we do that with God. Yeah. When
1: I look at my circumstances and I, I, I just see that, and I just assume bad intention on his part. And the fact is that it's always good intention. Whatever that situation is, the guy who's in prison for his faith, the guy who's really enduring intense persecution, yeah. that's good intention from God. Mm-hmm. And we're so small. And mm-hmm. so just like, fo- you know, focused on ourselves and focused on this life, That kind of thing that we don't get that perspective easily to see how good that is of God Mm doing that, but it it always is good.
0: It's not.
1: It's never bad intention.
0: Yeah, I think bringing our minds back to that truth and bringing our minds back to passages like this in those moments when we are tempted to think, you know, why did God allow this? In in the sense, it's not wrong to think. I wonder why God allowed this in the sense of trying to think of ways that maybe one to use this. It is wrong to say, why did God allow this?" in that sort of angry, discontented sense of how, how dare he, right? Which is what we can fall into really quickly. Hmm. And when we do that, we're essentially blaming God. We're blaming God not only for our circumstance, but for, you know, I, I wouldn't, things would be good if God hadn't have done this, that, and the other. You know, blaming him for our sin. And so, <clears throat> uh, the, the first point he makes here is God's never the source of temptation. Uh, when you're tempted, God is never the source of that temptation. But there's a second point here, and this is where I really want us to live for a little while. But secondly, not only is God not never the source of temptation, our flesh is always the source of temptation. Our flesh is always the source of temptation. This begins now in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust but each one notice the individual nature of this each one there's no man or woman child that is exempt um, from this each one of us is tempted and then he he describes this progression of sin and to me this is very very helpful because we find ourselves in sin sometimes often the same sin and we start kicking ourselves, how did I do that again? I mean, I've stepped in the same pothole a thousand times, you know. Why did I step in that pothole again? Well, this, this explanation of James kind of lays out what's going on behind the scenes inside of us when we deal with temptation. So each one is tempted when, first of all, he is carried away and enticed. He's carried away and enticed. These terms, carried away and enticed, are hunting and fishing terms. Um, it's, it's the idea of, of the, the bait in the water, you know, moving through the water in a way that entices a fish, or, or the way that, that bait in the trap entices a bear, uh, because he smells it and he wants to come in, he wants that. That's, that's the idea of these words. He's carried away and he's enticed. But what is it that is moving the bait or putting the bait in the trap? Notice he says, by his own lust. I think perhaps uh, many Christians, while, while dealing with, with blaming God is something that we deal with, uh, we don't realize it as much because we would never, I would say never, but we would, rarely blatantly blame God like God I, I truly think God did this. this, made me sin. I think many Christians struggle with blaming Satan, um, or or the world system or something else, right? And uh, we blame others. You know, i I was doing good until that person came over or that situation happened. Or I, I'm really I'm really an even kill guy, except when I'm with this person, right? And so What are we saying? It's them. And if we could just remove them from my life, um, then I'd be just fine. But what does he say? Carried away and enticed by his own lust. Sin is a personal issue. And notice he says his own lust. That's very intentional. Each of us have certain... Desires that are more tempting to us than others. Uh, you know, sometimes we can look at why a person would do something and it's not something that we're really tempted towards. So we just don't understand. We're like, why would you throw your life away to rob a bank? Why would you throw your life away to do this, that, or the other? But when it comes to our thing, we're suddenly become more understanding. There is something. And I'm not going to have you raise your hands and tell me what it is. But there, there is, for each of us, at least one, if not multiple things that are routinely more tempting for you than others. Typically, if you're having, if you're having trouble figuring it out, it's, it's the one that you find yourself repenting of the most. You're constantly either wanting to fall into that sin or actually falling into that sin. That is that our own lust. And the word lust is really just the word for strong desire. So it's not just a sexual sin. Um, it's a strong desire for, for, really it can even be used in a positive sense, a strong desire for anything. But most often, as in this context, it's used for a strong desire towards the forbidden. Something that would be an act of rebellion against God. So you fill in the blank for your, your personal set of temptations. What is your own lust? But notice, what's enticing you, what's dangling the bait, is not something external in this case. It's something internal. And I think that's very, very helpful. Because we, we often think that sin and temptation is what happens out here. And so the key to winning the battle then, if temptation is what happens out here, how do we win the battle? If that's true, that temptation is just external, how could we win that battle? We get out of there. Yeah, get out of there. Just don't be there. It, isolation, right? Go live in the mountains of North Carolina somewhere or, or, or find some... You know, go to Alaska or whatever, and you'll be just fine. Will you be just fine? No. 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 Why not? Because you're Because you're going, right? Because <laughs> you're there. you <laughs> are. That—that's the problem. You keep running from sin, and you're carrying it with you all the while because it's inside. But until we get that, we will be—we will be hopeless in the battle of sin. If your battle plan is just to cut yourself off from all external influences, you can do that. You can go live somewhere off the grid, by yourself in a cabin somewhere. But you will find the same temptations plaguing you every day alone in the woods because they are from inside. So the battle to against sin, I don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we we shouldn't take put up guards against external temptations. There are external temptations. It's just that's not the key to winning the battle. It's just merely cutting things off. I mean, Joseph got up and ran out of the house when he was tempted with Potiphar's wife. But he should have done that. And you should run. Flee temptation. I'm not saying don't. What I'm saying is that in and of itself will not solve your issue because it's your own personal lust. Let's talk about this for a minute. When he talks about our own lust, there is often some confusion among Christians on what exactly is that? What is that part of me that still wants sin, even as a Christian? Sometimes we call it our old nature. Um, Theologically, that's not precisely accurate. Um, When we think about um, our old nature, that was who we were before Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, right? Old things have gone, new things have come. We, our, your old nature, if you're in Christ, is dead and gone, right? It has been replaced with a new nature. That's why you, you, you've gone from death to life spiritually. That's what's happened. You have a new nature. So if it's not our old nature, just sort of rearing it said, what is it then that causes us to be tempted towards evil? The Bible refers to it as the flesh, the flesh. The flesh is that part of us that is yet to be redeemed. It's the the residual part of us, certainly includes our body, but more than just this body. It's that internal, that that lust he's talking about, it's the lust of the flesh, that, that part of you that will be completely sanctified and glorified when we're in glory with Christ, but until then we will fight against it. Uh, every day but the reason we can fight against it is because we have a new nature that new nature then goes to war with the flesh and that part of us that's yet to be redeemed but that's important to understand what is it exactly we're fighting against we're fighting against our flesh that those desires that still remain for
3: the forbidden so Dustin, before christ that flesh would actually feed your old nature Mm-hmm. and it would feed, well your old nature would feed off of that,
0: right like and you, it you were a slave, right? slave to it, right and you just did whatever <laughs> you did it's bidding, in that sense or not, yeah. and is that a, what Paul is talking about in Romans 7 This mm-hmm. 14, battle yes, and he's definitely not old nature right, yeah and there, is, there are some that try to say that Paul uh, that Paul's talking about his life before Christ there but no. in context it's pretty clear He's talking about the, the battle with sin. And he calls it the flesh. That's probably the best text um, to think of for that issue. That why do I do the things that I, that I want to do? It's just battle with the flesh. But we have a new nature. That's why the battle exists. Before you're in Christ, there's no battle. I mean, you're just doing what you want to do, and you don't, you don't really think anything of it. Unless you get caught, and there are some consequences, you don't, you don't like those, right? But it's not that you truly want to. Change because you want to please God. It's, it, we only want to change if it benefits the flesh in some other way, right? Yeah. People will think maybe one sin outweighs another, so if I quit smoking, my wife will have a higher opinion of me. So my desire for a higher opinion of me out, outweighs my desire to smoke. So it's just that kind of stuff. It's just swapping one sin for another. It's not truly life change. <clears throat> so... These temptations then, they're popping up within us, and we are enticed, we are carried away by our own lust. Well, what happens after that? Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now, he really lists two things there. One, the conception, when lust is conceived, and he he moves away now from the hunting and fishing terms to the terms that deal with with birthing a child. When lust is conceived, it then gives birth to sin. What does he mean when he says when lust is has conceived? Um, understand that sin always begins in the mind. Right? Always begins in the mind. Our battle with sin, therefore the front lines are, are here between our ears. Now we're going to talk about that next time. I'm going to spend a lot of time... My goal for our next meeting is to really talk through, okay, how do we win the battle with sin? Today I want you to understand where it comes from so we can accurately identify that, and then we'll deal with how to, how to win the battle next time. We'll talk about the mind, how to think biblically, uh, because notice, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. The idea is that the battle is lost, this is so crucial, the battle is lost before the action takes place. You haven't lost the battle with sin when you necessarily actually do that thing. You've lost the battle with sin really when you, in your mind, decide you're going to do that thing, right? And so, to, to a lot of times when we begin thinking about fighting sin, we start with at the action level. I want to stop cursing. I want to stop doing this. I don't want to look with lust. I don't want to. So we just stop, 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 trying to stop out here. The problem is you lose the battle long before you ever get to here. And so, when you get out here, it's like trying to pull a horse who's, who's already running away. It's, it, you've lost the battle rather than holding him in the stall before he ever gets out. And so, here, when he says, when lust has conceived, it's that idea that in the mind, the person has, has seen the bait and has decided, I'm going to get that. Right? That, that's that, the lust has conceived. Then it gives birth to sin. Once the lust has conceived, like that fish hitting that lure, it, it goes after it and boom, then now he's on the hook. Okay, He, he, he sees the, the, the enticement, he's carried away by it, he desires it in his mind, he decides to go for it, and then he actually goes for it. Now at that point, we see the result. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And we know this, don't we? How many times have we lived this text? There it is dangling. We decide, we take it, and we oh, oh, there's the hook, right? It, 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 it never, does sin ever truly satisfy? Can sin be, be enjoyable in the, in the moment? Yes. It Does it truly satisfy? Just like that fish thinks for a brief moment he's got a really good meal until all of a sudden he realizes... I've given up my life for it now. And, and men, that is what we do over and over and over again. But you see, if we the reason I wanted to talk about this is because if we have some misconceptions, the first one being that sin is all, that temptation is all external, so we just are constantly on the lookout to keep ourselves away from external temptation, we will lose because it's coming from inside, right? And if we only try to kill the the Basically, the, the end of that gives birth to sin. The action level we will lose because we're constantly losing the battle here and simply trying to stop the outward outworking of that. It, it, it takes us understanding, okay, my primary battle with sin is inside of me, and it manifests primarily first in my mind. Now we've laid, we, we've set the, the, the battle lines so we know where, where to fight, where to wage war, to win. I remember um, a friend of mine in seminary was a missionary for a while to a Muslim country, and him talking about these Muslim men trying to battle sexual temptation, and they would just walk around, literally hitting themselves in the, in the face um, to try because they could not control their thoughts, right? Um. Which, by the way, in that culture, you know, the women basically cover everything with their eyes, right? And yet, has that stopped the battle of lust? No. It not Because it's not a matter of... It, it, while women need to dress modestly, they need to dress modestly because they honor the Lord. It's, it's not because that'll fix our lust problem, right? And I think sometimes we think that. We think, well, if, well, if they just didn't dress like that, I mean, it would be a lot better. Um, well... Actually, while it would be better in one sense, you still struggle with sexual lust in your mind because it's tear. It's not about her, right? Um, but anyway, the re- those men, it's made me so sad because they're powerless to win the battle with sin because they don't have Christ. And so they're just trying to stop, you know, just, just stop it um, with no power to truly kill sin at the root level because they don't know the Savior. But we can fall into that, can't we? Just walking around all the day basically won't just beat ourselves in the head, but um, because we're we're always focused on on this this part of it rather than not just stopping the sin, but what we'll talk about next time, putting on righteousness. How do we actually live in a way that pleases the Lord, not just avoid uh, sin? Um, now I, I want you to understand this, and I think a great Example is in Proverbs chapter five. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter five. <coughs> in Proverbs chapter five, he begins to talk about the the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman becomes in the passage really the Certainly, it, it, it includes an actual adulterous woman, but it's that desire for, in this case, sexual sin. But he walks through the dangers of this and how this manifests itself. Look at Proverbs 5, beginning verse 1. He says, My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may res- reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. I like this passage because he walks through that progression. Of sin, He talks about how, first of all, the adulteress, she, her lips drip with honey, smoother than oil is her speech. This idea that it looks good, right? That the bait looks good. But then he says, but in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. It looks good, but it's a deception. It is death. It will ruin you. And, and I think you see uh, this. He says, basically, don't even, don't even toy with it. He says in verse 8, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't go by her house on the street. Stay away from her. Um, now, this is dealing with this, this external temptation that looks good. But understand, it only looks good because of the internal battle that's going on within us. James is not denying in our passage that there are external temptations. Of course there are. But why does that have any effect on you? Because of the internal temptations you have. Uh, Otherwise, the schemes of the the devil, the world, they they would have no, no impact on us. It's tempting to us because of what's going on inside but I love especially, you know, James says when sin's accomplished, it brings forth death. This is what that looks like. He says, uh, verse verse eleven, and you you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, how I have hated instruction! Basically, why didn't I listen, right? Why didn't I listen to what they said? And my heart spurned reproof. I'm not listening to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. He warns, like a good father talking to his son, he warns his son of the dangers of particularly the adulterous woman. But in so doing, he really describes this progression of sin. He said, don't even toy with it. Don't even go there in your mind when you see that temptation. Stay far from it. Um, and, And again, that's not just physically staying far from it. It is, in your mind, winning the battle there. Uh, because if you lose the battle in your mind, you may stay away from her house for a while, but you'll find yourself conveniently getting one street closer and one street closer until you find your way there, if we don't win here. Now, with those things in mind, I just want to ask us some questions to help us apply this. Um, First of all, just ask yourself this question. This one you don't need to answer out loud. But have you been blaming God or others for your sin? Just confront yourself in that way. Have I I been blame shifting? Whether it's God or the way of the world or whatever it is. um, Have I been blaming others? But secondly, this is one I do want you to talk with me about. How does this passage help us? in the battle with sin, what are some things that you've taken away from this passage that will help us in our battle? That it won't stop. Mm-hmm. That, like,
1: you know, the, the flesh is always hungry and it's never satisfied. Mm-hmm. So that you always, you always have to keep aware of that that it's not just, phys- it's not just what you see, what your eyes see every day. It's not what you, your ears hear every day. It's, it's that internal... Mm-hmm. that internal battle that you have to like you said put on righteousness you have to equip yourself you know daily and then if you don't your 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 physical body will only be able to resist for so long mm-hmm. before you do fall into what you don't want to fall into yeah
3: I think the comforting thing is we can get from the passage that God is God is not against us
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I
3: mean, it, it, like you said earlier, it, it's tempting for us to blame God, but really, it, when any trial comes, God God wants us to persevere through that trial and gives us help in the form of Scripture, in the form of spiritual guidance, and people around us, and and wants us to push through actual trials and not fall into sin. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm encouraged by it. When you said we confuse the battle with failure, mm-hmm. I think that's always at the end of it. Is, mm-hmm. uh, trying to work through the
0: why's and the justification. Mm-hmm. So that's always encouraging. See, you know, I, I think that, and that's uh, mm-hmm. it's on the same line with what Jonathan was saying. I do think that's crucial, man, because I, I think we look at Men that we see as spiritually mature in our eyes, uh, we don't know their internal lives. We see a man and we just think, "Wow, but he surely he doesn't deal with the thoughts I deal with. You know, <coughs> he doesn't deal with the desires I deal with." Yeah, he does. Whoever he is, he, he does. The difference is, perhaps, um, I'm not assuming that you're not doing this, but the difference would be that he's learned, hopefully, how to truly battle and win the battle against those things. But as long as you are thinking victory is getting to a place where my mind is not tempted anymore, where I don't desire those things. If you think that's victory, you'll live your life as a failure. That's not victory. Victory is all day every day, the temptations come, but when they come, every time I'm winning the battle against it. But it is a battle. Sometimes it's such a battle that you get home at the end of the day and you've been battling sin so much. I mean, you've it's you're exhausted from the battle. Praise God if you're winning the battle. Sleep well that you're winning the battle, but it is a battle. I think you feel usually at the end of it, you know. You, I think ultimately, it's,
3: you know, Satan is working to disqualify you mm-hmm. in your mind so that you give up. Or I think that's the worst place to end multiplication mindset and realizing what's true, mm-hmm. what we should have internally, and seek God for that. You know. Matt and then Jason. Um, a couple of things. I mean, you, you no know matter how many times I read that in my life, it's just amazing to see how much the Bible knows. And more about me than I know about myself right mm-hmm. like <laughs> you read something and it's teaching you about who you are um, I'm a very visual person so when you use visual as illustrations like the horse keeping the horse in mm-hmm. you know and that's where, you're, that's where your battle is that's where you're fighting to win um, but the moment that horse goes out it's like stopping the galloping horse right and you're going to lose that battle so to me that's a it's a visual thing, so it's very helpful because when I'm in a situation like that every day, right, like I go back to a visual, like okay keep, keep this in, fight it here fight it here, the battle is not when um, I'm actually faced with it right before me, you know, and it causes you to pray causes you to read, cause causes you to read his word, right, and I think that's a big way to win the battle for
0: me so mm-hmm. anyways, it's just a the visuals help. Yeah, for sure. And Jason, what did you say? I was just going to say, I mean, I think, I think there's a,
1: because the battle is constant, there's uh, even a sensation, there's a, you know, I think we've talked about it a lot, that being eaten down and worn out by the battle, but there is cause for, like, joy and ambition here to, like, An athlete might have before the big game to get on the field and and be victorious. You know, because there is a promise, of blessing here that I think sustains us. When we skip past the 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 testing, you know, we're reminded that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from that is what God means in all of those tests. He shows His goodness through those tests, just like turning that over in you know? yeah. the minds, there is, there's a blessing here in mm-hmm. this. and, uh, you know, the horse, uh, I'm not sure how to turn that metaphor, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. like this, the horse gets
0: gentle, mm-hmm. you know, and is put to use. Yeah, and, and, you, and you, you become... When you're looking in the right place, now you become more astute to what you're looking for. If you've lived your whole life just looking for the externals and how to avoid those, but you have neglected to look at the internal temptations, uh, you just constantly wonder why you're tripping. But now when you know, I'm going to be looking for the seeds of these things when they first come into my mind, here, that's where the battle is waged in one. Um, Now you have a a game plan of, of again, the the battle lines have been drawn. I feel a little bit bad because I don't want to steal all my thunder from next time, but I, I'm leaving you without all of the answers. But there are, I, I basically wanted you to feel... It's going to be a hard week. I'm going to blame you every time we say it. do going to be a this week, weeks. Yeah, to be week. to be a hard week. It's to to deal with that, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, crawling crawling the door? All your fault. stay in the house. Yeah. So let me throw out another question: How does this concept, uh, for I think many of the many of you men have children, how how does this help us parent our children in their sin? What's saying about that?
3: let us get to the heart, not not just the action. Because a lot of times I mean it's easier to squash what's just going on right now. Um, so. Stop doing that. But if you do that again you're gonna get in trouble and we don't really address the, the heart of it, why are they doing that and helping them understand why why they're doing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I yeah perfect. Perfect. So I mean I think <coughs> as you as you're reading out of Proverbs five where it says, you know I've hated instruction, but we have to instruct. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if we don't do that job of instruction, them, yeah, point to God's Word and life experiences and so forth like that. But if we don't give them those warnings, we don't instruct them like, hey, here are the things that are out there in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, our kids, are, most of them are young. They're, they're innocent. They don't know the world around them. The, the temptations are out there. But you know, younger and younger and younger, those temptations that we had when we were kids, they're getting a lot younger than, than we had. And so we have to start younger and instructing them in what's in the ways of this world so that they understand what those issues can be and give them, you know, mechanisms to avoid and to, you know, deal with those sorts of situations. <laughs> we told we told our kids long ago, you know, I mean, pornography nowadays is so easy to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. When we were kids, I mean, it was your dad's magazines, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way that it was. But nowadays, they you give them a phone or they have the internet, it's right there. You're at a friend's house, right there in the fingertips. And, you know, we think that, hey, it's okay to let them go over to the neighbor's house and do that. But you don't know what's going on in the neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. Right? You're, you're you're leading them into a situation that could take them down a road that is going to be a long, long hard slog for them. So, mm-hmm. instructing them, giving them, you know, the ability to have those open dialogues with you and talk through those things without fear of, you know the wrath of dad is going to come down upon them. But using it as a, as a constructive moment, very, very
0: helpful.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, he also, I think it. it's danger of uh, hypocrisy. Knocks at our doors, fathers or parents a lot, <coughs> projecting this image, oh, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't go with the wrong girls. Mm-hmm. And then the kids think, oh, this is perfect. And they find themselves failing to be Walking in that image of the perfect dad or perfect mm-hmm. mom, we have to be honest with them and say, Hey, I had my own uh, failures and my own set of sins that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. But being honest and avo- avoid the pit of hypocrisy as a, as a father or a parent, I think it's be good for, for our kids and show them, Yeah, I did fail too don't project this image of I'm the perfect dad, I, I never did this, this, this and that because mm-hmm. they're going to find themselves at the door of the sin and say, well my dad never did I should be like that and mm-hmm. they're going to fail and I said, all this Christianity is impossible to live because mm-hmm.
0: anyway. yeah. no, I do think that's right in the sense that when we discipline our children especially for those of you that have younger children when we discipline our children it's it's a teaching opportunity, right? right. And, and well, they, should, they're t- they, need, they need whatever consequence is, is coming to them because of their sin. But with that, it's an opportunity to show love. It's not just, sometimes we can parent them as almost, we're not, we're not so much upset about what they did as the fact that it's inconveniencing us that we now have to deal with it. That's just the truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that, know what are talking about? Yeah. <laughs> That's like, what is that? I don't know. Um, and that man you want to talk about the hypocrisy mm-hmm. and the sinning of that is not loving our children mm-hmm. and to, part of shepherding is being willing to be inconvenienced mm-hmm. to say I, I'm, this warrants sitting with you to have this conversation and part of that conversation is here's is, is what you did this is why it was sinful here's the consequence but also is I, daddy understands the battle of sin let me teach you and teach you how to win the battle. First of all, you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also instructing them in this is how you win the battle with sin. And I want to help you with that, right? Yeah. And so we, we have to take that time. And also, don't fall into the trap if isolation will not keep you from sin. Thinking that the, the victory with our kids is just keeping them within the walls of our own home every day all day we're never looking to go out the door and they'll be fine they're in their rooms with their wicked little hearts Mm -hmm. and so i'm not we do need to protect our kids i'm not saying we just let them go out like you said we've got to be very careful um, with our kids but don't think that your isolationism of your kids is what's going to save them or make them holy i think as a college pastor one of the things that was very instructive for me is I I got to counsel students who were now young adults that had come from all different home styles, whether it was public school, home school, private school, very isolated, not very isolated. And what I saw was the exact same sin struggles and manifestations in all of them. It mattered not what style of home they were brought up in as far as what they dealt with with sin. Um, and, and, And so... You just have to understand the issue is the heart. And so in shepherding your kids, realize I've got to talk to their heart. And ultimately we can't save them, all right? We can't save our kids. But we've got to be faithful to instruct them. We've got to be faithful to protect them and take reasonable measures to isolate them in a sense. But not thinking that that isolation in and of itself is going to do the job. Because they have a weakened heart just like we do. All right, well, we've run out of time. There's a lot more we can say about that passage, but I I do hope you'll be able to come next time. They're all recorded in case you missed. Next time we'll talk about um, the process of winning the battle with sin and what resources God gives us to win the battle in the mind. So why don't I pray for us, and you guys will be dismissed. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, uh, for the clear instruction that we see here in this passage in James, and, and thank you for helping us to understand now that the sins that we deal with are not just external things, it's a matter of our, our wicked heart. And while we're in Christ and we have a new nature, and we're so grateful that we can battle and win, we do deal with the flesh every day. God, help us not to make the mistake of seeing our battle as failure But help us to truly evaluate, are we winning the battle or are we losing the battle? And help us where we're losing the battle to fight with the truth, to to guard our minds with truth, that we might win the battle with temptation each and every day. Because we know that when you bring circumstances into our lives, you only mean them for good. May May we judge you rightly, and may we seek to honor and obey you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.